Well, thank you, everybody, for coming this evening. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start the book of Acts tonight. It's kind of going to be an introduction. I don't know if we're going to get the whole lot of text in it. Maybe it's going to be more of a, uh, a Sunday school lesson, you may say, just a lot of facts and information. Uh, so I just want to warn you about that. I just think that we need to get a, uh, just a good, proper perspective of the book, and then we'll begin to uh, dive in it uh, week after week. Uh, and uh, I don't know if we ever mentioned our welcome to New Harvest Ministries, NEO. We're, we just want to welcome everybody here and everybody online. We uh, do a service, a Sunday night service at Lakeview Baptist, uh, a beautiful church that allows us to do this. Uh, and if you're looking for roots, uh, come and uh, plant some here at uh, Lakeview in, in Vermillion, Ohio. We'd, we'd love to have you. We have a, a lot of activities, a lot of ministries going on, and uh, our youth program's growing, and our preschool is also uh, growing. And we're looking forward to seeing uh, the outcome of that. Many disciples being raised and brought up into the world to go about to expound on God's word. Uh, if you could uh, just join me in a, a, a prayer. Our gracious and heavenly Father, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will make us, make us beloved, witness for Christ, that we witness in every extending series of concentric circles in our homes and our local church, then throughout all 50 states, let it be kind of a bridge leading out into the world beyond Vermilion. Let our witness go out to the ends of the earth, always remembering what it means to be a witness for Christ, knowing that a witness is someone who says, I know this is true. Understanding in a court of law, hearsay is not accepted as evidence. Witnesses must give an account of their own personal experiences. A witness does not say, I think so, but I know. Understanding that a real witness is not of words only, but of deeds also. May the way that we live our lives be so compelling that people would want to become a Christian. May the witness of our life be irresistible to those we encounter. May we understand the full extent of being a witness, knowing that God in Greek, the word for witness and the word for martyr is the same, martyrs. The witness had to be ready to become a martyr. To be a witness means to be loyal, whatever the cost. Lord, please continue to pour out your spirit on us that we may be able to accomplish all that you desire. Amen. Uh, so we're going to be in Acts. Uh, I would like to just read one verse of Acts, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. If you could stand for the reading of God's Word. And that's Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judah and Samaria, and even to the remote, remotest part of the earth. Amen. You may be seated. So, the book of Acts. Very interesting uh, 
wanting to have more knowledge on church structure, how churches should act, and our Constitution tells us that we need to go to the Word of God. And I figure uh, the book of Acts is, is a good book for me to gain more knowledge. I've read our Constitution. I've read the 1925 BFM. I've read the, I've read, I've read, I've read, I've read, I've read. But now I want to read God's Word. Uh, the accurate, uh, God's Word. What did, what did the, how did the church begin? What, what was it? Who wrote this book? Let's try to look at the hermeneutics of it. A gentleman by the name of Luke supposedly wrote Acts. Luke was a doctor, believed to be a physician. Luke was also the only Gentile to write a, uh, one of the books, the four Gospels, one of the four Gospels in our Bible as a Gentile. We know him to have traveled with Paul. And I, I would like to just uh, give you some information from Barclay. Uh, I thank him for the time and effort he put there. Uh, I don't think I can do much better than what he did. So we're just going to kind of get into this a little bit. Acts picks up where Luke's gospel leaves off. Recording the early progress of the gospel as Jesus' disciples took it from Jerusalem throughout Judah, Samaria, and the rest of the Mediterranean world. The story begins with Christ's ascension and the event of Pentecost. As Gentiles begin responding to the gospel, the focus shifts to Paul and his missionary journeys. Acts forms a bridge between the four gospels and the rest of the New Testament showing how the apostles carried on Christ's work and providing a, a historical background for Romans through Revelation. The Acts of the Apostles is the second of the two New Testament books written by Luke. Like his gospel, Acts was a later letter to Luke's friend, Theopolis, written sometimes in A.D. 62-64. to 64. Now, Theopolis, who is Theopolis? Is the first question. So, Theopolis, he tells us, uh, first I'd like to say the, the name Theopolis. This may not have been an actual name of the person. I believe that he was definitely referring to an individual. Uh, and we'll get into that in just a second. But the, the word Theopolis, the name, Theos, which means God, uh, Philene, which, which means love, love God, you know. And I, I believe that I, I, it could be that Luke was referring to this Roman official uh, and didn't want to use his real name. But we're just going to, I'm going to kind of read what he tells us here, this Barclay. And, but that really stuck out to me, love God. Uh, this individual definitely loved God. Luke wrote both his Gospels and, and Acts to a man called Theopolis. Luke 1.3, Acts 1.1. 1, 1. We can only guess that Theopolis was Luke in 1.3. Calls him most excellent Theopolis. Most excellent gives him as a real person. Uh, the phrase really means your excellency. So this would not just be a make-up person because he wouldn't be calling them uh, your most excellent to an unbelieved character. The phrase really means your excellency, which indicates a man of up in the service of the Roman government. 
There are three possibilities, he believes. Just possible, Theopolis is not a real name at all. In those days, it might well have been dangerous to be a Christian. Theopolis come from the two Greek words. Theos, which means God, Philene, which means love, love God. Luke wrote to someone who loved God, whose real name he did not mention for safety's sake. Two, if Theopolis was a real person, he might have been a high government official. I believe he was, just because we know in the book of Luke, the first chapter, it says, Your Excellency. Uh, Perhaps Luke wrote to show him that Christianity was a lovely thing and that Christians were good people. Maybe his writing was an attempt to persuade a government official not to persecute Christians. Three, and it's the more romantic theory than either of these, based on the facts that Luke was a doctor and that doctors in the ancient days were often slaves. It has been suggested that Luke was the doctor of Theopolis, that Theopolis had been gravely ill, that by Luke's skill and devotion, he was brought back to health, and that in gratitude he gave Luke his freedom. Then it may be Luke wanted to show his grateful he was for the gift, and since the most precious thing he had was the story of Jesus, he wrote it down and sent it to his benefactor. One of his reasons was commend Christianity to the Roman government. I believe it could possibly be a combination of uh, all these that were said here. A, a man that loved God, I definitely believe he was a Roman official. The rest of the story, as far as Luke being his doctor, that very well could be, I don't know. We don't want to read anything into it, but I'm just trying to get a feel for this gentleman, Theopolis, who Luke has written to. So uh, with that, we're just going to keep going forward now. Again and again, Luke, he goes out of his way to show how courteous Roman magistrates were to Paul. And that was very interesting when I started reading this. And he's going to cite some scripture that the Romans were actually courteous in the beginning to Paul. I see most of the hatred uh, was instilled from Judaism. Uh, the Roman people would conquer an area, and what they would do is you would then, you would take your God and you would become a, a part of their empire, and you could put your God in the room with all the other gods, and Rome was just fine with that. One thing that we learned that Rome really got aggravated with is when the Jewish people wouldn't do that. They, they would not say, no, my God is the only God, and Rome didn't like that. That was later we find this out. Uh, and then the Christians, the same thing also. We have the Christians do the same thing. So we were kind of troublemakers. The Jewish people were troublemakers to Rome, and, and Christians were troublemakers. But this wasn't until a later date. At first... Uh, when Christianity first started, I believe even, uh, even Pontius Pilate didn't really want to put Jesus to death. It was, it was the Jews that wanted to do it. So here's Luke making this case uh, for Christianity, who, by the way, was a Gentile. So he always tried it with the magistrates to Paul, like in Acts, Sargas, Paulus, the governor of Cyprus, became a Christian. In Acts 18.12, 
Galilee is absolutely fair-minded in Corinth. In 1630, chapter 1635, the magistrate of Philippi discovers their mistake and apologizes publicly to Paul. In chapter 1931, the, uh, it's a group of officials, I can't pronounce the word, but I looked it up, it's, it would be a group, group of high-ranking officials in Ephesus are shown to be concerned that no harm should come to Paul. Luke was pointing out that in the years before he wrote Romans, officials had often been well-disposed and always just a fair, fair to Christianity. Further, Luke takes pains to show that Christians were good and loyal citizens, and had always been regarded as such. In Acts 18, chapter 18, verse 14, Galilee declares that there is no question of crime or villainy. In, in chapter 19, 37, the secretary of Ephesus gives the Christians a good report. Chapter 20 through 29, Claudius Leus is careful to say that he has nothing against Paul. Chapter 25, 25, Festus declares that Paul has done nothing worthy of death. And in the same chapter, Festus and Agrippa agree that Paul might well have been released had he not appealed to Caesar. Luke was writing in the days when Christians were were disliked and persecuted, and he told his story in such a way as to show that the Roman magistrates had always been perfectly fair to Christianity and that they had never regarded the Christians as evil. In fact, the very interesting suggestion has been made that Acts is nothing other than the brief prepared for Paul's defense when he stood there before the Roman Empire, emperor. One of Luke's aims was to show that Christianity was for all people. And Luke's writing skills were just marvelous. As a doctor, his literal skills, how he wrote, and I could see him, this actually being prepared as a brief, a brief for the defense of his, of his friend. When he stood there in trial before the Roman emperor. One of Luke's aims was to show that Christianity was for all people of every country. This was one thing that the Jews found it hard to grasp. They had the idea that they were God's chosen people and that God had no use for any other nation. Luke sets out to prove otherwise. He shows Philip preaching to the Samaritans. He shows Stephen making Christianity a universal universal and being killed for it. He shows Peter accepting Cornelius into the church. He shows the Christians preaching to the Gentiles at Antioch. He shows Paul traveling far and wide, winning men and women of every kind for Christ. And in Acts 15, he shows the church making the great decision to accept the Gentiles on equal terms with the Jews. Isn't that marvelous? Make the greatest to accept the Gentiles on equal terms with the Jews. But these were merely secondary aims, why the, 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 we believe that he written the book, but they did accomplish them things. Luke's chief purpose, number one, set out in the words of the risen Christ, 
in the verse we read, chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all of Judah, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It was to show expansion of Christianity. To show how that religion which began in the little corner of Palestine had in not much more than 30 years reached Rome. A little corner in Palestine. Uh, word, God's word. And I'm thinking me standing here in Vermilion, Ohio. How far has Christianity come? How far has the gospel reached? The church historian C.H. Turner has pointed out that Acts falls into six panels, each ending with what might be called a progress report. Now, progress reports, my pastor loves progress reports. He has leadership team meetings. He brings people in. He wants progress reports. And if he doesn't get progress, why, he's going to get it. Let me tell you. He's a, he's a wonderful pastor. So I, I think he could really appreciate the book of Acts because it's going to give us plenty of progress reports. Matter of fact, the book is all about progress of Christianity. And we not only get the progress of back then, but we can see how it carries on today with the same framework in which was set up. So we got chapter 1. Verse 1 and then to 6-7, the first panel, this tells of the church at Jerusalem and the preaching of Peter. And it finishes with the summary. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, first off, that song, All Fly Away, was a beautiful song. We were in Sunday school this morning, and we were in Exodus, and on the, the, the eagle's wings uh, were to be carried, and it just had me thinking about flying away. It was a metaphor, how God takes his people. But that was a rabbit I was just changing, but that was a beautiful song Al did. But it, it also, in our Sunday school class, it talked about the priest and what their job was to do is the Jewish priests were supposed to do the certain task. Uh, they kind of turned away from the Gentiles and everything, but here's a beautiful thing here right now. Here's what we see. Because the word of God continued to spread, the numbers of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, the Jewish people, became obedient to the faith. They, they converted to Christianity there. That's a beautiful thing. That was probably such a joy for them, such a calling at that point in their life to be stuck where they was at and then finally to be able to come priest and obedient to the faith. That's a beautiful thing. The next panel would be chapter where it starts right where this one ends, chapter 6, verse 8. Then it goes from chapter 9 to 31. This describes the spread of Christianity through Palestine. And I think of Palestine right now where all the chaos is going on, but that small little patch of land, the spread of Christianity through Palestine and the, the martyrdom of Stephen, followed by the preaching in Samaria. It ends with the summary. Meanwhile, 
the church throughout Judah, Galilee, Samaria, had peace and was built up, living in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of His Holy Spirit, it increased by numbers. This takes off on chapter 9, verse 32, and ends on chapter 12, verse 24, the third panel. This includes the conversion of Paul, the extension of the church in Antioch, and the reception of Cornelius, the Gentile, into the church by Peter. That's when our, the two groups merged. They were merging together. Its summary is, in the end, what does it say? The word of God continued to advance. The next panel, chapter 12, 25, ends at 16, 5. This tells of the extension of the church through Asia Minor and the preaching tour of Galatia. It ends, that's how it ends, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. Chapter 16, verse 6 starts and then ends in chapter 19, 20. This describes the extensions of the church to Europe and the work of Paul in great Gentile cities like Corinth, Ephesus. Its summary runs, So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now, before we get on to the next panel, there's a common theme here. The word of God, the Spirit, the word of God, the word, the word of God. It keeps talking about the word of God. To build a church, it can only be built on the word of God. Oftentimes, we, my brother did a nice job when he did a message a couple weeks ago. It kind of struck me. It says, you know, Jesus quoted from the Old Testament. He didn't say, These, this Old Testament's obsolete, so I'm, the things I'm saying, I need you guys to write a new book. It was relevant to Jesus at that time. Just the same word, God is relevant for us today. If, if we want to build a church we have to build a church by the Word of God. This book that's right in front of me, it's not outdated. It has everything we need to know. And by doing the Word of God, we, what do we get? The increase. The church increased every time. The increase in the numbers. The increase in the disciples. The number of the disciples was increased greatly in Jerusalem. Now, I understand there was the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the coming and the filling of the Holy Spirit, and thousands at a time were filled with the Spirit. But this continues on. This is still, no, we don't need to find anything outside of God's Word. It's the Word of God continued to spread. This is the church. Sola Scriptura. This is the church. And you know what? I do enjoy coming to a church with air conditioning. I do enjoy coming to a church with a parking lot. But them are completely secondary issues. The number one issue is the Word of God. Whether we're doing it in our preschool or our vacation Bible school or whatever we do, 
we have to do the Word of God. Now we face another big dilemma about the Word of God because we know the cross is, is foolishness to those who are perishing. So if you're accurately dividing the Word of God, you are going to offend the non-believer. It doesn't say to, to give it, package them up different. It says the Word of God. The truth, Word of God, was being expounded upon. Expounded upon. People were coming to the Lord. It's God's job. He does. It's His job. He calls them. He has the Spirit. Ours is to do it with love and grace. And I absolutely agree with that. And I work on that today myself to be able to speak with no anger inside me, no animosity, no hatred, uh, because this is my mission field. I understand that, but I cannot retract from God's Word. We have to rightly divide God's Word accurately. Then we will have a church that grows that's in Christ. And last, the, the last panel we have in, in uh, chapter 19, verse 21, and it ends on 28-31. This tells of the arrival of Paul in Rome and his imprisonment. There it ends with the picture of Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You got that? All boldness and without hindrance. Paul, he could have, we, we read how uh, Cornelius and Agrippa said that if he wouldn't have appealed to Caesar, to the, to the emperor, that they would have probably ended up letting him go. He appealed to Caesar because he was a Roman sinner and he wanted to stand before for him to do what? For he, we, with all boldness and without hindrance, he could proclaim the truth of God's word. And that's what he did. He didn't try to soft sell it. He went in there and gave them the message. And he gave it to the Romans and the Gentiles. And he was outside. And how many of those Jewish fellows did he offend? Numerous. He was an equal to opportunity offender. He was. And he was imprisoned, he knew it, and he went to his death. And you know, in, in the book of Philippians, it talks about how he thanks. Uh, when you were locked up in prison, if your family or somebody wouldn't bring you food or rations, you would just wither away and die there. But the Philippian church, who had, had little, they pulled resources together to feed Paul that he could sustain. And Paul thanks them, not for, the, not for the rations or the supplies, he thanks them for their own souls for what they did because Paul was so assured in the providence of God that he knew that God was going to take care of him. And if it was his time to go, then he would just simply die. And Paul was totally all right with that. So he, it never, it never would, he was never trying to please man he was only trying to please his God, who he loved so much. And he put his faith and trust in him. And he's thanking the people that brought him food. Not because of the food, mind you, but because of that's what they did. And that's what we should do, uh, beloved. We should, we should reach out to our mission field, to these people, uh, with love. The way the Philippians did. So... This plan of Acts answers its most puzzling questions. Now, the plan of Acts answers its most puzzling question. Why does it finish where it does? 
It finishes with Paul in prison awaiting judgment. We would so, so much have liked to know what happened to him. And the end remains a mystery. But Luke stopped there because he had achieved his purpose. He had shown how Christianity began in Jerusalem, a little small part of the world, and swept across the world until it reached Rome. One New Testament scholar has said that the title of Acts might be how they brought, brought the good news from Jerusalem to Rome. I believe that was uh, 30 miles. No, maybe I'm wrong. Luke was a historian. And the source from which a historian draws his information are all important. Because we'd have to ask that, the authenticity of Luke being able to have his, uh, one of the four Gospels in this book, that we, we had to have first-hand knowledge of, of Jesus and these things that had taken place. It's very important. And I, I just, it's really nice to see all that Luke was exposed to by Paul, through Paul, that he would introduce him to all the great leaders, James, John, all the great leaders of the church. He got to have conversation with them. He got to go to these different churches sit down and talk with them, and then he also became an eyewitness as his book progresses. And from speaking uh, from them to we, like he was a part of it. And we're going to read a little bit of this now. Where then did Luke get his facts? In this connection, Acts falls into two parts. There are the first 15 chapters describing events of which Luke had no personal knowledge. He most, most probably had access to two sources. There were the records of the local churches. They may, had, may, may never have been set down in writing, but the churches had their stories. In this section, we can distinguish three records. There is the record of the Jerusalem church, which we find in chapters 1 through 5, and in the chapter 15 to 16, there is the record of the church at Caesarea, which covers chapter 8, 26 to 40, and chapter 9, 31 to chapter 10, 48. There is a record of the church at Antioch, which includes 11, chapter 11, verse 19 to 30, and chapter 12 to 25, chapter 14 to 28. It is very likely that there were cycles of the stories which were the Acts of Peter, the Acts of John, the Acts of Philip, and the Acts of Stephen. Beyond a doubt, Luke's friendship with Paul would bring him into touch with all the great figures of all the churches, and all their stories would be at his disposal. There are chapters 16 to 28. Luke had personal knowledge of much that is included in this section. When we read Acts carefully, we, we notice a strange thing. Most of the time, Luke's narrative is in the third person, plural. But in certain passages, it changes over to the first person, plural. And they becomes we. The we passages are as follows, Acts chapter 16, verse 10 to 17, chapter 20, verse 5, 
to 16. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 18. And chapter 27, verses 1 through, through chapter 28, verse 16. On the diary and in these passages, we have eyewitness accounts. As for the times when he was not present, many were the hours he must have spent in prison with Paul. And many were the stories Paul must have told him. There can have been no great figure like Luke did not know. And in every case, he must have gotten his story from someone who was there. When we read Acts, we may be quiet and sure, quite, we may be quite sure that no historian ever had better source or used those sources more accurately. Uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Where we started off, they was, they was told to wait there for them to be filled in the Spirit by God. Our Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." The command, promise, a command that Jesus gives us, gives his disciples that we read today. Go therefore and make disciples. How are we to make disciples, brothers, sisters? How are we to make disciples? The book of Acts repeatedly, the six panels, was the word, the word, the word, the word with boldness. That's how we make disciples. That's how the church grows. There's no other way. Sola Scriptura. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our great, gracious, merciful Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you for having the knowledge, knowing that Jesus sits at your right hand and has all authority over heaven and earth right now today as I speak. We thank you, God, for that Holy Spirit that has come in upon your beloved children who indwell us to go all over the world to proclaim the truth of your word with boldness. We thank you for that Holy Spirit that leads us, guides us, protects us every day of our lives, Father. We pray that Christians that are filled with the Spirit may continue to be in your word, to understand your word, to teach your word, for we can have more disciples, Father. We pray for that Holy Spirit to open the eyes of those. We pray the Holy Spirit to give them a heart to know and ears to see, Father. We are just your servants, Father. We're being led by the Spirit to speak your word, to speak the truth 
with all love and grace, Father, we thank you for the ability to be in this country. I thank you for being able to wake up today and to read your word. I just pray, Father, that you can open the eyes to somebody today, another person, to join, to join the ministry of Christ to your word. Father, I, I thank you for the opportunity that I'm be able to go where thousands of men will go and rejoice in the Lord in the, in, in the word of the Lord that want to be expository preachers to to ex, just that we capable just to expound on your word father we just ask for protection at that conference we just put the all in the trust and the providence of God it's all in his hands father and it's just reassuring to know that all authority has been given to Jesus Christ on heaven and on earth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.